Behind the men and women who serve our country are fearless leaders who live in the shadows. They stay up late nights praying, worrying, and waiting for phone calls, filling out mountains of paperwork, and keeping research folders on experimental services. But more importantly, they patiently love our heroes back together again. Welcome to your community. No matter what stage you're at, we're here to provide expert resources, faithful support, and real-life insight into how you can move from managing to living your best life. Your hosts, Libby Bates, Shauna Morin, and Erin McCauley found one another in opposite sides of the country in different stages, but with a common struggle. Together with outside guests and experts, we'll open the resources and support you need. Let's get to the episode. Hey listeners, welcome back. Today we're joined by Soldier and Purple Heart recipient, Sean Ambrose. Welcome to Behind the Service, Sean. Listeners, we encourage you to join us online for more conversations, tips, resources, and fun. Behind the Service is on all your favorite Instagram, social media platforms. We're all over the place, but find us online where you can delve deeper in with us. You can be a part of our newsletter that goes out weekly and join us Wednesday for coffees at 10 a.m. where we can get to know you better and meet other caregivers and veteran service members from across the United States and the world. So I am going to share a little more about Sean's amazing book, called Ghosts of the Valley. It gives a full spectrum recount of the incidents that took place in Afghanistan and the recovery process that became necessary upon the return home to peace. The book itself will hopefully serve as a benefit to soldiers who have not yet deployed, civilians who struggle to understand the average combat veteran, and the soldiers who have redeployed that still struggle in their recovery process. This book is not meant to glorify war but to expose the actual horrors of it. Ghosts of the Valley also provides a comprehensive and up-to-date, as the publication is, list of resources for those struggling with PTSD or those who simply need help. I'm going to share some statistics since Erin isn't on here with us. I know it's usually her thing, but I just want to give a little insight about how the MPs or the military police came to be. It actually founded in September 26, 1941, in the midst of World War II. The United States Army military police units have combat zone responsibilities in addition to their law enforcement duties. These responsibilities include mounted and dismounted patrols, response force operations, area damage control, route reconnaissance, search operations, critical site security, and convoy and personnel escorts. Operationally, these duties fall under the securities and mobility support discipline of the military police corps. Since the beginning of the war on terror, military police have become a valuable asset to combat operations due to the versatility of the MOS. That's cool. I guess I never really realized the the history behind military police. My husband was military police, Sean, um, and he was in the 549th MP company. What company were you in? When I deployed the uh, 127th and 94th out of Fort Carson. Oh, okay. Yeah. So do you want to share a brief uh, his- history, I guess, of your military career? Uh, yeah. I mean, so 
I've, I've been in for going on 13 years in February. Um, I've been stationed at Fort Carson, um, Schofield Barracks, JBLM, and then now here at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Um, I've served all the duty positions up to platoon sergeant, as well as pl- uh, platoon medic um, and a designated squad marksman. And then now I'm serving as the senior leader course uh, instructor for MPs. That is actually that's super cool. I We have a really good friend who's an MP as well, and I'd like to know much about his detail. I only mean that he got to do a lot of weird stuff when he was in Iraq. So it's really interesting to hear more about what you have done. What inspired you to join the army as an MP? Uh, I, I think like any other uh, 18 year old douchebag who wanted to go work some heavy law enforcement. Uh, I mean, I wanted to do LAPD and I figured, you know, I kind of always wanted, I always had aspirations to serve. Um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to do five years, get out and go back do LAPD. But I mean, it just didn't really work out that way. Um, but I kind I, yeah, I kind of talk about it in the book a little bit, but I joined for my high school sweetheart who, after I signed up, she broke up with me and I was kind of stuck. In the- That's the worst. And oh my gosh. It was a very immature decision of mine, but it was probably the best immature decision I made. And you're still in. Yeah. Yeah. So are in. you, is your plan to like retire then from the military? Yeah. I mean, you got what, seven, eight years left. So might as well, might as well do it out. all. Finish it up. Yeah. Right. I'm not doing anything else. Nothing else going on. So. Right. No doubt. So are you married then or no? Yep. yep. I've yep. been married for nine years. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, is, now is she in the military? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she, she actually, I actually met her. Um, she was actually a Hooters model, right? Okay. And, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so this is the crazy part. She was actually hanging above my head before I even knew her. Uh, I had like the poster. My mom sent me the poster. And then, like, when I went back to Fort Carson, after we redeployed the first time, I saw her at the local Hooters, like, working there. I was like, hey, were you on the calendar? To-? And then, like, we started hitting it off or whatever. And she got inducted into, like, the Hall of Fame, which I didn't know was, like, a thing. And she was Miss United States 2005. So, yeah, I got that's, super lucky. That's super cool. Yeah. That, what a great story. There are pictures on Instagram. She's absolutely beautiful. And that's yeah. amazing. Congratulations. Marriage is not easy, especially when you come in with combat experience and they come in with their past experience. So kudos to you too. That is, that's such a cute story too. Like it's not, it's cute, but it's adorable. Like I love it. That's adorable. Yeah. Yeah, Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected him to say, yeah, so my wife was a Hooters. (laughs) Worked at Hooters. Uh, My mom didn't believe it either. She's like, I thought you were gay. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, mother. mother I know. I love it. Oh, shoot. So coming back from um, deployment and things like that, what was some of the biggest obstacles for you to to overcome? Have you had any, like, were you injured while you were serving or anything? Probably not. I mean, you're... You're active still, so that's probably. Yeah, well, so my first deployment, I took shrapnel to my shoulder, a um, couple of injuries here and there. I, I got hit the one time. My second deployment, I took shrapnel to the face. Um, uh, I didn't get a purple heart for that one, which I really did, didn't get, give a shit. You know, like, you know, who wants more than one of those things? But um, yeah, but actually, I had this huge scar, this circular scar under my left eye because, like, the shrapnel came stuck out of my face about two inches. Um, 
and uh, my wife sent me vitamin E oil and I just rubbed it on there and it was gone within six months. So I don't have a scar there no more. But, um, but yeah, so I think the hardest things, I mean, each, each deployment was a soldier. My first deployment young, I was a leader of my second deployment, you know, mid twenties at that point. Um, and so both had their differences on coming home. I had a little bit of experience coming back to the second one. First one I didn't, um, I think just dealing with the trauma was probably the hardest part dealing with being around people, not having that security blanket, my weapon, my buddies around me. And, um, and then dealing with the awards I was given was really hard for me at a young age too. So I kind of, um, from, from the two battles I talk about in the book. That actually is perfect. And it leads me to my next question. What brought you to the place of you wanting to write a book and make an accountant uh, accounting of what happened to you while deployed? Uh, so, you know, for like years, like about six or seven years now, people like mentors, seniors of mine have like told me like, dude, you should write a book. Like this is like an amazing story. It's like for an MP, I mean, not really just for an MP, but just, I think in, in our, and all the global war on terror is I have kind of an abnormal story, the positions I was kind of put in. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, people said, you should write a book. And so I, I guess kind of took it as a compliment all those years. And I was like, no, 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 I don't really feel like putting all my information out there, being that vulnerable people judging me. Like, I just don't want that in my life. So, um, I always put, kind of put off to the side. And then I noticed that PTSD like evolved to the situation you were in. So like, you know, coming back from both my deployments since 2012, I've always been in a leadership position. I've always had soldiers underneath me, um, you know, get back from deployment. It's the same thing. You know, you come back, you reset, go to the field multiple times, field cycles, NDC rotations, and you deploy again. And so I've always been busy with soldiers, late night phone calls, all that stuff. So I never really had time to myself. And it wasn't until here we are, what, 10 years later, and I'm at my first duty station that I don't have any soldiers underneath me. Like I'm an instructor here. Um, I get off at like three o'clock every day. Like it's super chill. I could put my phone on silent and never get a call. Um, so it's very different for me. And because of that, I, my PTSD evolved for the first time to the scenario I was in. And so I had a lot of time here to sit around and think and not do anything and thinking led me down doors. I haven't opened in a long time. And so initially it wasn't to very, I guess you could say selfish of me, wasn't to go write a book to help veterans. I just wanted to put my pain on paper. So I opened up Microsoft Word. I started pounding away. And within two months, I was done with the book. It wasn't, but it wasn't a book. It wasn't like, there were no chapters. I just wrote. And then I had somebody read it and they're like, you should make this into a book. And then they kept, I don't know if they were just trying to make me sound good or whatever, but they're like, no, it's like really good. And I'm like, you know, so then I just kind of threw chapters above it and released it and then yeah, it kind of took off. That's awesome. So did you have to have like prior authorization, like clearance to be able to do that? I'm sure because since you're still yeah. active duty. Yeah. Me being active duty. So I, it wasn't as bad as I thought, um, but it was about a two month process. I had to go to like an ethics review to make sure um, ethically everything was okay. And then uh, PAO, and then I had to send it off to the Pentagon and Pentagon had to send it off to New York. That's where the um, military is like PAOs at. And then they had to send it off to CENTCOM, which controls Afghanistan and Iraq. And then the CENTCOM and DOD approve it, make sure that the stories are correct and accurate, the awards that were given out are correct and accurate, and that it didn't make anyone look bad, essentially. And then they sent it back, and, and uh, I only had, like, one correction they wanted me to take out uh, as a, a single picture. So That's pretty good, though. I mean, yeah. 
you know, at least they didn't like pick it apart and be like, nope, nope, nope. You know what I mean? Then you'd have been like right back to square one, right again. There was no red ink or anything. They just said, I had a picture of like when I worked as a medic, like of a kid that was a casualty, nothing like gruesome, but we were holding a kid and they were like, no, no, you got to take that out. So Uh, do they not think that that people don't know that that happens in war? I mean, like, let's be real. I think, I think, I think more of uh, you have to have the permission of the person who's the casualty in the picture. Um, whereas How's that like, going to happen? <laughs> yeah, I know. So I don't really know where all these casualties are. So, but yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to talk about Ghosts of the Valley? Like what kind of things you had put in it? So you talk, you, it talks about PTSD, like your struggles after coming back. Yeah. I mean, so like my book is not like some leadership philosophy, PTSD, psychological. I'm not like some psychiatrist who's teaching you some new way that you've never heard before. This is going to be like life altering, changing, groundbreaking stuff. Like this is just an average brown dude from LA who went through some stuff and there could be another average person out there just like me who had gone through trauma. You don't need to drag a body through a battlefield to experience trauma, rape, car accident. It doesn't matter what it is. Trauma is trauma. And if I can go through these set of things, how was I able to come home and, and get through it essentially? And people could use my experiences to help, um, like I said, be a security blanket for them. So the, the book is fairly short. There's 10 chapters, but of the 10, only nine of them are readable. The 10th chapter is nothing but resources, phone numbers, websites for veterans. So if they pick up the book, they have it, um, you know, on them. Um, and then, so of the nine readable chapters, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want it to be about me, like a biography. Um, you know, chapter two talks a little bit about my background and stuff like that. Um, chapter one kind of throws you into like a singular battle, like a quick little battle just to like kind of paint the picture of like things that we were seeing over there. Um, like almost like a flashback. And then chapter five and eight are like the big ones of like the two big battles. Um, and then the chapters in between are like the recovery from those or coming back home essentially. Um, but five and eight are, are the big battles. The uh, chapter five was a battle in which um, it was a rescue mission that uh, I don't want to say it was like Black Hawk Down, but it was Black Hawk Down-ish where things were just not going our way, you know, one by one. And, um, and it was, it was an event that my Lieutenant that I served under was killed, uh, multiple wounded. when I became wounded, um, broken arrow was called, which uh, broken arrow is a Vietnam era term that if it's called over the radio, it means that there's a unit that's in dire need uh, of assist air assistance. And if we don't get it, we're going to be completely overrun or overwhelmed. Uh, and so, you know, every air asset in Afghanistan had to come to our location. Um, and, and, and then it kind of builds on to, you know, I was a private, I witnessed leaders that day making decisions and then how uh, that was like the building blocks of my leadership style and how to lead soldiers. And then flash forward to chapter eight, we're in a battle in which I'm now a sergeant and I have soldiers underneath me. And I revert back to decisions that those dudes were making on that mountain that day when I was a private and, and how I had to like help my soldiers fight through a battle in which we went to go rescue humanitarian aid convoy that got cut off and Uh, An Afghan police officer was shot, left behind by his own people. So we went in to go get him. I went to grab the casualty and long story short, we got completely surrounded. There was 16 of us Americans, four four trucks, uh, uh, 16 of us versus 150 plus enemy fighters um, who completely surrounded us and got within eight feet of our vehicles. They were trying to completely overrun us. So at one point it was about to go hand-to-hand combat. It was uh, getting pretty intense. So yeah, it talks about those two big battles and how I dealt with them. Well, thank you for sharing the in-depth view of that because 
I mean, I have goosebumps and I, I know our, our listeners are also going to have goosebumps because it's, it's so hard to imagine, especially as, as a civilian and never being around combat. I mean, you can watch as many war movies and war documentaries as possible, but you never are going to truly understand how you all as a unit felt in that moment. And I appreciate you writing it out and I appreciate you looking back and seeing how your lieutenants and how your higher ups, how they handled themselves and encompassing that into how you moved your troops forward and your soldiers forward. And I, I feel like it's very important to do, especially for people like the book is talking to people coming into the military, people who are in the military already, who they, their goal is to become an officer. Their goal is to become a Lieutenant, a Sergeant, any of that. And being able to be like, hey, this is how I need to be to my people. I don't, I don't need to boss them around. I need to show them that I will be that person next to them, fighting with them. And so thank you so much for doing that. Um, I actually, I learned about you from our friend <laughs> Roman Roberts with Real Talk with Roman. And your episode with him, I know it was 10 minutes, but it was so engaging. And so I can just imagine what your book also does for our readers. Thank you. I appreciate that. So does, you said that it has like resources and things like that and like what for like PTSD resources and things like that? Is that yeah, how it has a bunch of different stuff. Uh, I essentially just was like, if I was getting out the army now, like what would I want to know? And so I went onto the VA website. I went on a couple of different websites. I just nitpicked some of the things that I found, um, put, put them in categories and I didn't put obviously every resource in the world, but it's at least something so that if they're like, well, I want to know more about this, they could find out a name and then research on their own more information on whatever it is that they need. But it, it does provide some of the basic suicide hotline, phone numbers, websites, stuff like that. Yeah. So do you, um, since you're still active duty and you have, you said you have soldiers that are under, underneath of you right now, like um, what is the um, climate like for um you know, military guys and PTSD and like talking about the issues that they're having. I mean, do you feel like it's more of an open dialogue and conversation? Because I know that a lot, you know, especially in the past, you know, guys don't really want to talk about the mental health and and suicide and and different things like that. Have you found that there's more of a, a willingness to have a conversation about that and seek help when they need it? It just depends on where you are. I mean, I think military as a whole, there's always going to be that A-type personality that does not going to want to talk about it. And they, you know, we rag on each other and we try to put up an emotional front, you know, a brick wall. Um, that, that'll always be there in the military. It's just the type of people we are and how the kind of the career field has to be built. Um, but where I've gone, I, I've done the best I could to be open about my behavioral health experiences, especially my soldiers. So if they're having issues, like I tell them, like, I go to, I go to behavioral health. You, you call me a pussy. Is that what you're saying? They're like, Oh no, 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 no. I'm like, well, then why can't you go? And so like, I almost like reverse, you know, reverse on them. And like, I should, like, I'll take them with me to behavioral health and like show them. I know the secretary. Cause that's like one thing I do every duty station I go to. I find out where the section's at their phone numbers. I get a business car. I know who works there. So if, I meet a soldier, regardless of their mind or not, I could walk them in and like, you know, just take care of them, show them that like, if I could go as a sergeant first class, there's no reason that you shouldn't go as a private or specialist or whatever. So I love that. Just trying to get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's good. Another really good leadership quality. Um, one of my other favorite things about you, you just let us know on Instagram a few weeks ago, and I had to ask you about this, but you are such an inspiration to many people, but many people don't know that you actually don't drink, which is a yeah. rarity in the military community. Like alcohol is every place. And yeah. I just, I want to know, have you in, I'm, I guess you have, but have you influenced any of your fellow soldiers or other veterans or people around you to follow suit? And why have you chosen to live life that direction? Um, no, I mean, not that I'm aware of as far as somebody was like cutting cold turkey, not drinking anymore. I mean, I mean, I'm sure a few soldiers of mine have saw that and maybe, you know, uh, enhanced their discipline in other areas, like maybe fitness or health and just what they put in their body. Um, you know, me getting up in age, they're like, well, if he can keep up, if he can keep up with us, then obviously he's doing something right. So like, maybe they'll tweak something. I don't know that I've, somebody's like, I stopped drinking alcohol because of you. I just show them that if I've made it 32 years on this earth without doing it, then like, and I, I don't think there's any real reason. I just never really got into it. I had, um, my dad was a heavy drinker. My mom was not, but my grandma kind of raised me and I just never wanted to get hit by her or the little flip flops, you know? So I, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to piss her off. So I just, I kind of stayed away from it. And then when it came to high school and, and, uh, the one year of college I did go to, um, I, I just became the DD. I was like, well, I'm not drinking. So I'll just like, but I want to hang out with everybody. So I just, and that's the same thing happened in the army. That's my first duty station. And they're like, you want to drink? I'm like, Oh no, I don't drink. I'll, I'll DD for you guys. And then I just DD'd everyone around the base. And, uh, but I bet they're out. like, you're our new best friend, yeah, dude. Yeah. Right. Yeah, trying, to get them, trying to get them to a McDonald's with drive through was a debacle. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. With a bunch of drunks in the back, for sure. Yeah, that, windows, dude, yeah. you should get an award just for that. Okay. <laughs> that, that was me in college, too. I was in a sorority. Um, so I was the DD for all my sorority sisters, except it was Taco Bell, not McDonald's. Oh, yeah. So I <laughs> can feel empathize with you there. <laughs> Okay. So how can our listeners find Ghosts of the Valley book? Um, so the book is on Amazon, Nook and Kindle. And then it, we're also, so we've completed the um, audio. We're waiting for Audible to get it up. For the people who have read the book or, or who haven't, when you read it, you know, essentially like, you know, it's telling the story and then like, say you're in the middle of a battle or whatever's going on. Um, there's like these italicized things, like italicized writing that just kind of cut you off in the middle. And it's like my own internal thoughts. And again, that was because when I first wrote the book, I wasn't writing to write a book and I was typing what was happening. And then I thought to myself, like, what was I thinking in that moment? And I just left it in the book. So you'll have a bunch of these smart ass comments and like things that I was thinking in that moment. And so we left it all in the book and my publisher paid a guy to read, you know, he's got one of those nice, sexy voices. He read the entire book and then we had an idea that I would go to a local recording studio where I'm at, and then I record all those internal dialogues. So it's dual narrated on the audible. So like he'll read the book, and as that internal thought comes in, you'll actually hear my voice, and then cut back to him. So it's a little different, but um, hopefully it works out, and that'll be on Amazon as well. Cool. I have an audible. I'm going to have to download it today. Well, it's not up yet. We're still waiting on them. Oh, oh, oh. okay, yeah. gotcha. It should. It could be any day. So yeah, yeah. That process sometimes is 
crazy, right? Oh my goodness. That's, that's really great. And if you also want to follow him, he is on Instagram and you just launched a clothing line called Broken Arrow, which now I understand. So that's amazing. How can our listeners support you in that endeavor as well? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Broken Arrow has its own, they could look it up, Broken Arrow Apparel Company um, on Instagram. I haven't really publicized it too much yet just because the guy that I'm working with is still getting everything on the site and I want to like have a good chunk of stuff up there. But 10% of the fund or the, the money that we get from that will go back to veterans. A couple of different things I'm working with veteran, which we're trying to get some medical facilities open for veterans to get help instead of the VA and stuff like that. So just trying to do whatever we can to help veterans. So if anyone needs help, I, I usually give my personal cell phone number. You know, if they need someone to talk to you, text, whatever. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. And thank you for your service. We haven't said that. We appreciate all the sacrifices that you have done, as well as the men and women that you have served with, lost, and called brothers and sisters. We appreciate all of you to the depths of our soul. Um, So listeners, this week, I'm going to empower you. Please go out, purchase yourself a copy of Ghosts of the Valley and get in all those resources. It's a wonderful, absolutely wonderful piece of literature to have in your house and to go back to all the time because it's a great learning tool. Also, I'm going to encourage you to another good resource is get Boone Cutler's FPL because it also is packed full with more resources as well. And just again, thank you so much, Sean, for doing this with us. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. Well, thanks for listening to Behind the Service Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, will you leave us a review? It helps more people like you find this podcast. And remember to subscribe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.